Second Kings chapter 4, 1 through 7. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a little oil. Elisha said, Go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him afterward and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all her jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. But he replied, There's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Only God could do that. Before we uh, start the message today, I just have to give uh, one more advertisement for our Keys to Freedom study that's coming up, not next week, but the week after that. So it'll, it'll begin September 16th. However, today is the deadline for um, buying the study guides uh, if you want to make sure you have it by next week. And we'll pass those out on Sunday the 9th, make those available to you so that you can do the first five days in the study guide before week one. Uh, they, uh, they come before, so you kind of do five weeks in preparation for the first week's message and discussion in our circles. And so we invite you to uh, get one of those if you haven't. Um, they, they look like this. They, uh, you know, study guide, maybe we should come up with a more exciting term for it. Um, you know, adventure handbook. I don't know. <laughs> study guide might sound kind of uh, work-ish. There are places in here to write. And so if you're thinking of sharing one with someone, you could probably make that work with like, a, you know, if one, of, one or both of you use a journal or something to write in instead of in here, or I guess you could draw a line halfway down the box and one of you write on one side and one on the other. Uh, so if you want to save money that way, they're, they're 10 bucks each, go for it. Um, if you don't want to save money that way and you just want your own space, uh, then, you know, by all means, buy two. Um, there's these handouts, inserts in your, uh, in your bulletin as well. And feel free to take those to someone that you know uh, who might be interested in this series. Uh, look over it yourself and see what it's kind of all about. Uh, looking forward to it. I think that it's going to be uh, invaluable to us as individual disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, uh, to get some tools and principles internalized and to work, practice working through those uh, so that we can build on our faith in the years to come. Not only that, we can use the things that we learn through here to bless others as well. And so I'm excited for us to go through this together. I want to say something to us guys in particular because just it's been my experience in years and years of ministry at this point. I know I don't look like, I know I'm, I look so young, but I've been going at this thing for a little while now. And, and I find that a lot of times you know, girls are all in on stuff like this. And yeah, let's talk about our feelings and let's work through some, some stuff and with God. And, and guys tend to be like, eh. <laughs> Me and God, we'll, we go fishing and we're doing good. 
Um, and so I just want to encourage you to, to step out of your comfort zone and try this. It's just eight weeks. You could do anything for eight weeks. Man up, all right? <laughs> no, I think that when we stretch ourselves and are willing to uh, even feel a little bit awkward or uncomfortable in doing something, that those are oftentimes the times we grow the most is when we're uncomfortable and doing something that we're not used to doing, but we're doing it in an attempt to grow in our relationship with God. And I think He honors that. And I think that we often find um, it very rewarding when we do. If you have any other questions about this uh, adventure we're going to embark on together, please contact me or just catch me afterwards. Uh, I'll be glad to talk with you about it some more. Okay. Back to Church on a Mission. This is part two. So if you weren't here last week, you missed part one. Uh, which, you know, if you like uh, watching shows and you miss the season premiere, then sometimes you have to go back and watch it. And so if you feel like you need to go back and watch it, you can via our website, our podcast, Facebook. Uh, you can watch the video on Facebook if you want. And so um, check that out. But in a nutshell... What we talked about was that, that we've been laying something of a foundation for the last four years. That we've made a lot of changes that a, a lot of people on the outside never thought we would make. And maybe some of us on the inside as well. They said, oh, no, Cypress Street is Cypress Street. They're always going to be who they've always been. They're not going to change anything uh, to reach a new generation. They just are who they are. And we've proved a lot of people wrong uh, over the last few years as we've changed a lot in a pursuit to lay a foundation for doing ministry to a new generation and in a new era. And so I applaud you and that was a lot of what last week was about. And we talked about how, specifically, uh, looking at some stories that Jesus told about the nature of the kingdom, how small beginnings often have big results when God's involved with it. And so we, we talked about that and we looked at that last week. And I, I challenged you to even challenge your own thinking. Because sometimes we have small thinking. And that's as a result of what we're used to. And, and we expect the future to look a lot like the past that we've experienced. Or the present that we're in. And so sometimes we fail to think big and to imagine. And so we dreamed a little bit together last week. Of just, you know, is it possible that God might choose to do an incredible work in and among us and through us? Is it possible that that in the next couple of years we could baptize more people than we baptized in the first four years since I've been here. Is it possible? Is it possible that at some point this room would be so full that the, the sound of our song would just fill the air and the rafters with, with praise to God? Is it okay to dream about these things and, and to think, you know, well, what if we had to deal with, uh, you know, good problems like why don't we have enough parking spaces out there? Or, or, you know, who's in my seat today? Which, by the way, please, never ask a guest to move out of your seat. That's, <laughs> it happens, people. <laughs> but not here, okay? Not here. So, you know, what if we had to face good problems like that? And we just dared to dream a little bit and to think that, yes, if God chooses... He can make from something as small as a mustard seed, right? 
He can make something, a large shrub that, that will bless others and, and create shade for others. And we talked about how uh, with what God does through his kingdom with these small beginnings and, and big results ends up being a blessing not only to us, but to our community around us and to the people who need to know the love of Christ in their life. And so part one was a lot about for the thinkers and the dreamers and the uh, let's just imagine together and, and can you even wrap your mind around that this might be possible. And then this week is, is going to be hopefully a little bit more practical. We're going to explore a little bit of what, if anything, we need to be doing to realize big results. Do we need to do anything or is it all up to God? Does he have something for us to do? Or are we simply unable to do anything and we must rely completely on Him? And I would say yes, yes, yes. And that's kind of the mystery of the Bible as we're going to explore it today. That yes, it's all up to God and yes, we have to do something. <laughs> it reminded me as I thought about this, uh, this message and just reflected on it and uh, for some reason this came back to my mind and maybe some of you, if you keep up with politics at all or read the news, maybe this will ring a bell from a few years back. Uh, when President Obama was, was still in office, there was a speech that he gave that became kind of famous amongst conservatives, at least because conservatives um, took issue with something he said. Uh, he said, if you've got a business, you didn't build that. You remember this, anyone? He said, somebody else made that happen. Now look, I'm not trying to be political today, but I thought this was funny, and we've got to be able to laugh sometimes. So there's this picture I saw, and it just cracked me up. You didn't build that. You know, and it made a lot of people mad on one side of the aisle, because they said, you know, it felt like I was building that when I was building it. You know, all that was hard work, and the sweat, and the, yeah, and the money that I poured into it, it sure felt like I was building that. And, uh, and so a lot of people took issue with it. But then, on the other side, they said, well, come on, you can see the point that he's trying to make, that you wouldn't have been able to do any of that if it hadn't been for the work of others and for the sacrifice of others. And, and there is truth in that, right? I mean, we should be the first to say that we stand on the shoulders of some mighty fine people who've gone before us, uh, not least of which is Jesus Christ himself. We, as a church and as people, and in this nation as Americans, we are blessed in so many ways, and we have opportunities to do things that we wouldn't have had opportunities to uh, do otherwise. And so we can't just take all the credit for things, can we? And there is a sense in which we need to give credit to others. But anyway, that cracked me up. You didn't build that. And it, it reflects a little bit of the tension that we deal with on this issue in our faith. Because there is this struggle that we, that most of us, I would say, deal with in some shape or form in our own personal lives and certainly in regards to the church as we're talking about a lot today, is what part is God and, and what part is us? What are we supposed to do and, and what does it matter whether we do if God's in charge and it's all up to Him, right? What, this, this tension between, okay, it's God that makes things happen and yet what if, you know, are we supposed to just sit back and watch or, or are we supposed to do it? And if we do it, do we get any credit or how does all this work? And, and we struggle with this because we can see that sometimes we work as though God's not even in the picture. As if it's all up to us. And sometimes we pat ourselves on the back like it's all up to us. Or we talk about people 
look, look what they've overcome. You know, or, or we'll talk about you know the church down the street that has this vibrant and rich ministry, and we'll say, look what they've done. Now, other times we talk as though, well, you know, and maybe if it's someone we don't like, especially we're like, well, God must have done that. <laughs> Couldn't have been them, you know, or or we, you know, we we would be quick to you know be self-deprecating perhaps and say, oh well, it wasn't me; it was just all God and. And so, what is the balance here? And I would suggest that Jesus and his apostles reject any notion of, of this being an either-or situation. That either God did it or we did it. But that it's always a partnership. And, and this is perhaps best illustrated in many of the stories in our Old Testament. And I, I picked one today that was one of several we could have picked just to look at how does this work? How does this work? What, what part is God's and what part is ours? And the frustrating part about this is there's no formula. There, there's no, you know, we can't just draw a circle around, well this part's God's and this part's ours. But we can see that in spite of the fact that it's kind of messy, it, it works. And so let's just explore this story a little bit from way back before Jesus' time prophet known as Elisha. Now Elisha inherited the, the, like the lead prophet title from Elijah. So that's confusing. <laughs> so there's Elijah and then there's Elisha that came after him. And both of these guys, uh, you know, you didn't want to be their enemy because God was on their side. And they did some awesome things in a time where Israel was very confused about what they believed about God and who they wanted to worship and we're told in 2 Kings 4 that a wife of a man from the company of prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Y'all, we have problems in our day and time. But I'm here to tell you, the ancient world was a hard world. An unforgiving world. Man, it was, it was easy to die in that world because there wasn't a lot of medicine. I mean, one cut could lead to infection that could do you in, right? I mean, it, there was a lot of danger. There was a lot of war. There was a lot of fighting. The prophets, we read, were often at risk of their lives just because the evil kings and Israel's in that time period were often uh, unpleased, displeased with the message that the prophets were bringing and so sometimes it, their occupation was hazardous and we don't know what happened to this guy maybe he cut himself and died, maybe the king had him killed we don't know what happened but he died and he left behind a family and so the widow comes to Elisha who had been, it seems, in some sense, her husband's boss and a man of God. They had been serving the Lord together and she comes to him and says, here's my situation. Now in that day and time, with the way that the economy worked and all that, there just weren't very many jobs for women that could support a family. That's why many of them turned to prostitution. Or as in this case, 
selling their children into slavery. It's kind of like, uh, you know, if you can't pay for your meal, you have to go back and wash dishes, except on steroids, right? This idea that, okay, you owe us money, and you can't pay it, so your kids will pay it. They'll work for free. It was a hard world. And she comes to Elisha with this problem. And he says to her, how can I help you? And not only that, tell me, what do you have in your house? Like, give me and God something to work with here. I know you're in a, in a bad way, but surely you've got something. And, and she says, your servant has nothing there at all. And then as an afterthought, except a small jar of olive oil. Do you ever feel like you've got nothing? <laughs> I think we've probably all been there at some point. Like, what in the world would God do with me? I've got nothing to offer. What significant thing could He possibly do through my life? I've got nothing to offer. I've got no money. I've got no skills. And churches do this too. We've got nothing. We're just a little church. What do you have? She had a, a small jar of olive oil. And Elisha says, good, we can work with that. <laughs> so he says, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. And then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars. And as each is filled, put it to one side. I mean, he gives specific instructions here. <laughs> so they might not figure out to put it to one side if he doesn't tell so, <laughs> you know what this step is it, it, it looks like they're being asked to do something not just to sit there but it's also going to show whether they have faith or not because they're not going to go around and pester all their neighborhoods all through the village all their neighbors all through the village asking for jars if they don't believe God's going to do something. They have to step out in faith. A lot of people would have just hung it up. That's crazy. Not doing that. So they had to step out in faith. It concludes and with they, you know, they they do this and the oil keeps flowing until the last jar is full and then it runs out. And she goes and tells Elisha what happened and he says, Go sell the oil and pay your debts and you and your sons can live on what is left. Now who did that? We would all say God did that, right? I mean, none of us would say the widow got that done. <laughs> right? The widow and her sons, they multiplied that oil. They're in good shape now. God did that. 
But let's also acknowledge what God did not do. He did not rain money from the sky, did he? He didn't make jars appear full of oil, did he? He didn't even make a husband appear for the poor lady <laughs> so that he could take care of the family. He, he just kept the oil pouring. And see what I'm saying? It's messy. We, don't, we can't say specifically in each situation what God does and what we do, and yet we know that we have to do something and that God has to make it work. Right? That, I mean, they had to go around and drag these heavy jars into their abode, and they had to pour it, and then they had to go out and sell it and try to get the best price they could for it. And so there was a lot of legwork involved. And yet none of us would say that they did it because they had no power to do the part that was critical to the whole thing. And yet God expected them to be a partner in the process. He didn't just snap his fingers and make it happen for them. So today we're taking the same phrase we used last week, but we're putting the emphasis on the first part of this phrase. That when God partners with people, that's when small beginnings can yield big results. When God partners with people, it's a partnership. For whatever reason, this is how God usually works in our world. It's through ordinary, ill-equipped, unpowerful, weak, pitiful people who do what they can and God in His grace makes up the difference. How about the story of Jericho? It's another example, right? God's got them marching around the walls, marching around the walls, marching around the walls. They're having to march. They couldn't just stand there. I mean, you'd think He could have just said, stand right there while I knock these walls down. But he said, march around the walls. March, march, march. Keep marching. And then after the walls fell down, they still had to fight the battle. Right? Uh, this is not just an Old Testament thing. And this is how Jesus worked with his disciples as well. And we've got one of the most famous stories from the Gospels. And it's found in all four Gospel accounts. is the feeding of 5,000 men plus women and children. This huge crowd on the side of this mountain. Jesus has been teaching them. He feels pity for them. Doesn't want to send them home hungry. So he tells his disciples, go find these people something to eat. He says, what do you have? What do you have? It's the same kind of question that Elisha asked that woman. What do you have? And their response is so similar. <laughs> Basically, we got nothing. We got five loaves, two fish. But what is that amongst all of these people? And Jesus says, bring them here. So, I mean, they had to hunt for five loaves and two fish to start with. They had to find the poor boy and steal his lunch. Then they had to uh, give it to Jesus and then they had to sit back, right? Oh no. Then he starts making them pass stuff around. 
They're lugging baskets full of food up and down the mountainside in the bald open sun. Sound fun? I just went up and down a hill in the sun a couple times yesterday. I was done. <laughs> so yes, they worked, but who fed all those people? We would all say, Jesus fed those people. And yet, they were the ones delivering it to the people. And so, it's a partnership. Our effort meets God's power. Small beginnings yield big results. So we're talking about... By the way, this just popped in my head. It's probably going to run me long, but it's worth it. It's hilarious. I was watching... Uh, I was working on my antenna because I refused to pay cable. Anyway... I'm weird. So I'm working on my antenna. I'm trying to get it pointed in the right direction. To, and it's been, I don't know, it's bouncing off my trees weird or something. So I'm finally getting it zoned in. And we got this preacher guy preaching this sermon. And he was talking about seeds, which we were talking about last week with the mustard seed, you know. And so the mustard seed was fresh on my mind. And get this, what this uh, upstanding preacher said. He said, the size of your seed determines your harvest. In other words, little seed, little harvest. But if you'll send me a thousand dollars, you'll be like this one guy last week that got a new job and the bank called him and said, your mortgage is done. All right. <laughs> so just cracked me up because we had just read the mustard seed is the tiniest seed and yet it grows into the biggest plant, you know. We had just so you know, he didn't cite scripture for that, by the way. Who needs scripture when you've got money? So sorry. I don't know how God's gonna deal with those people, but I hope he hurries up and does it. Last week we talked about going deeper, reaching farther. That this isn't just about, you know bigger, better, fancier, let the world see that we're this, you know, we're going to become this awesome church and, uh, you know, and then they can be saying about us, you know, look what they did or look what they built or look what, you know, not about that. We want to go deeper as disciples of Jesus and as we go deeper as disciples of Jesus, we'll have the root system available to reach our arms further out into our community and into our world because that's our mission that Jesus gave us, to go and to make disciples not converts, but people who are learning to look and live like Jesus. Go and make disciples. Teach them to obey. Baptize them. And so this is our mission. There's no question about that. And so we say, we want to go deeper, we want to reach farther. And we know that this is going to have to be a partnership with God. Because we can't go deeper in our own effort. We can try, but we'll end up looking legalistic. More often than not, that's what happens. You, you try to go deeper in your own effort and that you try to be more perfect and you try and you try and you try and you get so frustrated because it's just not working and you can't ever measure up. And this is what people experienced all through, you know, from the time Moses gave the law until Jesus came. There was this struggle to try and live up to the law. And Jesus came with a new covenant. He puts His Spirit within us. And he begins to write his law in our hearts so that our thoughts and our attitudes and our feelings change. And then we, be we begin to live out of a place of Christ-like love. 
But this is a partnership with God. It's our effort meets His power and His grace in our life. It's a both-and thing, not an either-or. You can't do it on your own. You can't do it apart from God. But odds are He's not going to do it apart from you. It's not the way He works. So what does this mean for you in your life? It would be worth spending some time thinking about that. Are you in a partnership relationship with God? Are you expecting Him to just sprinkle His God dust on you and make it happen while you go about life just as it's always been? Or on the flip side of that, are you, again, trying to do everything in your own effort and not relying on the power of the Holy Spirit? Neither one's a good idea. And the same goes for our church. We can work our tails off. We might could even fill this room just on our effort alone. We might look pretty good. But without the power of God, what difference does it make? Similarly, we could sit back and say, God, you do it if you want to. We're here. Right? We're going to sit here and do our thing that we like to do. And if you'd like to bless it, go for it. That would be awesome. But that's not how God works. It's a partnership. He's not a sugar daddy or a gravy train, right? He's, it's a partnership. It's, it's two people working together. It's us and God. So we look around and we say, what is it that we would need to do if we want to fulfill His purposes in and through us? If we want to go deeper and reach farther? If we want to live on mission for God, what are some things that we would need to do? Well, it's not really rocket science. We know from Scripture that we need to first and foremost pray and seek God's will. And seek His face and seek His power and His grace and His anointing on our church. Because we know that our efforts without that are worthless. And so that's got to be number one. But beyond that, there are some practical things that just make sense that we've got to do it. Our neighbors are more likely to come and hear the words of life if we ask them to. Right? I mean... The most, I mean, I, so I try to put advertisements out there, you know, we, we advertise through Facebook and we have some good luck with that. We work on our website and all those things are things that have to happen nowadays. They say the website is the new front door of the church. People look at your website before they decide whether they're going to come. And so there's practical things like that. But at the end of the day, the most effective thing still remains one human being asking another human being, would you come? Or just sharing your faith in some small way. Just talking about Jesus. Those of us without non-Christian contacts in our life. That hits a lot of us. Some of us, that's all we got. <laughs> but some of us can't remember the last time that we had non-Christian friends. 
And so, if we're going to be inviting them, if we're going to be living on mission, then that's going to have to mean we're going to need to put ourselves somewhere where we can make some new friends. That's practical enough. Let God work the friendship out. Let God work out whether it, mess, you know, whether it you know, affects or influences their life. But put yourself in a position to where you can. There's a lot of things we can do around here to, to make our ministries, our children's ministries, our youth ministries, our worship ministries, our preaching, all those things, our, our greeting ministries, just as welcoming and as visitor-friendly as we can. There's a lot of that that we can do. But it all has to be grounded in a partnership with God. That, that it's not our efforts that are going to make things happen. It's up to God. Another thing that we've talked about lately, and we've talked about it in our circles, and so this probably won't be new to many of you, uh, is a conversation about our name. And several of you had mentioned to me and to the leadership team that one of the problems you've had when you go to invite people to our church is the name Church of God causes, gives pause to people. Let's say it in a friendly way. They, they, uh, they, they're not sure what that means. They're not sure what that looks like. They're not sure that seems, you know, Pentecostal. Maybe they've uh, even heard stories of what Church of Gods do. And there's a lot of different kinds of Church of Gods out there. Most of them are Pentecostal. And so if they're not into that kind of thing, then it causes a lot of confusion for them. This is not really uh, even up for debate. We get calls regularly in the office from people who are Pentecostal Church of God thinking that's who we are. <laughs> and I hardly ever get a call from anyone that's Church of God Anderson, but it's always uh, the, the other. I don't know why that is. Anyway, it is what it is. And so one of the suggestions that came to us was, well, what if we dropped on our signage and our website and our business cards and things like that, our name to Cypress Street Church? which a lot of us say anyway when we're talking. And so we toyed with that as a leadership team. We prayed over that. We discussed it with our various circles. And every one of our circles, no matter the demographic or the age group, came back with a consensus of, yes, this makes sense. Uh, yes, this is something that, that we should pursue. Some of you even said, that's an awesome idea. And some of you even said, I've been thinking we need to do something about, like, about that. And so that's kind of where we've been. We also recognize that we need better signage at the same time. That people drive by Cypress Street all day, every day, and 99.99% .99 of them can't see this building. Or the sign, for some reason. It's like there's a cloak of invisibility surrounding this place. And so we've been trying to figure out, you know, how can we uh, tackle that? And so those things combined, I wanted to share with you today just a, one practical step that we're looking at taking, and that is to change up the look a little bit and the, uh, the name a little bit, Cypress Street Church. We'll be able to switch our web domain from cypressstreet.org to cypressstreet.church. Uh, so that would be something that will be <coughs> neat and easier for people to recognize and remember. 
Uh, we're looking at sign options. This is one with a guy that we're talking to now. I don't know if you can tell what's going on there, but it would be over our existing sign and be a lot higher and bigger and taller and hopefully more noticeable. And on a dark background, so hopefully with all the light stuff around, it won't just blend in. Uh, but this is one idea that we're working with, and uh, so be praying with us about that. And of course, that transition, a new sign, all those things will cost money. We've got a good start on that uh, through gifts given to the church already. But uh, those are all things kind of on the horizon that I wanted to share with you about. But that's just small stuff, really, in the scheme of things. So I want to ask you to think about today what you could commit to so that we could be doing our part and trusting God for doing His part. And I'm not trying to sell something as a if we do this, then God will do this. I don't know what God will do. But I know it will be for the best of the kingdom. I know it will be for His glory. And I know it will be good for us too. Because He takes care of His people. And He's a good God. I've asked uh, a couple of our youth, if y'all don't mind, they're going to pass out these commitment cards right now. Y'all can go ahead and start. And uh, these cards have just some ideas on them of things that maybe you'd be willing to commit to. Things like praying daily. They're intentionally meant to be audacious things. Because if we're going to dream big with God, we need to be ready to commit ourselves to the mission that He calls us to. Things like fasting. There's even a blank that says just other. You may have your own idea of what you could do. There's something on there that says I commit to in inviting X number of people a month. Now look, if you say you're going to invite three people a month and next month you only get two people invited, we're not going to hunt you down. And neither is God. <laughs> Guarantee it. We're not saying that kind of commitment. You're not signing your life away here. We're just saying, would we be willing to step up to the plate and to begin putting our efforts in with our ideas and our dreams and our hopes? Would we be willing to partner with God and see what He would want to do in and through us? So you can fill that out now and as we sing the next song here in a minute, or you can uh, take that with you up to your circles and work on it some more and give it to your circles leader. Uh, you can leave it on a bench. You can leave it on an altar. You can turn it into the office. I would encourage you not to take it home. It always seems like a good idea to take it home and pray about it, but you never bring it back. <laughs> that was meant to be funny. You just, you don't, you don't bring it back. <laughs> Maybe two of you bring it, anyway. It's not funny, I'll stop. But think about it. Is there something that you could commit to doing as we pursue the mission that Christ has called us to as a local body of believers? here at Cypress Street Church of God.
And on the back of that, there's two opportunities that are really just exploratory opportunities. They're just big ideas. One of them would be a missional community that would, that would focus on how we could reach this neighborhood behind us. And I don't know the details on any of this. It's just some dreaming and some ideas. But if you would be interested in dreaming about that and seeing you know, maybe a group that would come together once a month and dream about how we could reach into this community right around our church. That's an idea. And another one would be a, a discipleship group that uh, would be focused on, you know, how can we live as though Jesus were living our life? What, what would it look like if Jesus were living this life? And so, I, again, don't know what that would look like. My hope would be that it would not involve uh, any kind of weekly coming back to church kind of commitment. But I think that there's some other ways that we could do that that would be effective and would work with the crazy schedules that we live in in, in our world today. So if either of those would be of interest to you, mark it, make sure your name's on the card so we can get in touch with you, and we'll just have a meeting sometime to dream about what that possibility might look like and just to explore it a little bit. Maybe nothing comes of it yet, or maybe something really cool does. So you've got a front and a back on there to work on. And I'm going to leave you to work on that. But I just want to say, again, kind of something I said last week, that I wouldn't be here, would have never come, if I didn't believe in you and believe that there was potential here and that God wanted to do something in and through us. And I don't think that God would have come through in some of the mighty ways that he has over the last four years if he didn't have some kind of plan and purpose in place for this church and this group of believers. I can tell you that I did not sign up to come and just sustain what we had going and to try to keep it from fading out and dying. That doesn't sound exciting to me. But I do believe that it's possible that God might choose to take a small beginning and do something big with it if we'll commit to partnering with Him. I believe that's possible. And I hope that you do too. And so let's pray together, and then we'll sing together. Father, we thank you for working with ordinary people like us to do the incredible things that you want to do in and around us. God, we look at our resources, and they seem really small. Sometimes, God, if we're honest, our faith has been small too. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would take what little we have, we offer it to you. Increase it for the sake of the kingdom. Take us deeper and farther than we've dared to imagine. And we'll be sure to give you the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.